Thanks for checking out the Reveal Vineyard podcast. We are a Jesus-centered community in El Mirage, Arizona. We hope through these conversations your spirit will be stirred. For more information, you can visit our website at www.revealvineyard.com. Well, we uh, have been on a series that we've called Hooked, uh, The Lies That We Believe. And we are on week number six of this series. And we've said early on that the worst part of being deceived is that you're deceived. The worst part of being deceived by a lie is that you don't realize that you're deceived. See, when I'm deceived, if I knew I was deceived, I would just stop being deceived. I would move towards truth. But the problem is, is that we don't understand, we don't realize when we're deceived or when we are believing a lie. And so the challenge for us then in this series has been to recognize the lies that we have been believing as truth, which is not always easy, especially when it's all that we know, all that we have known for years, or all that we recognize, all that we remember. So the attempt is to expose the lies that deceive us and distort truth, and in turn, they keep us shackled from stepping into being all that God has for us and stepping into being the people that God wants us to be. And so we've been looking at what does it take to uncover a lie, and more importantly, what does it take to spit the hook of that lie and to swim towards truth? Because truth ultimately matters, right? It's one of the hills that we die on, to seek truth. Jesus said that truth will have a very specific impact in your life. He said it like this, that the truth will set you free. Now, the implication of that is, is when we don't have truth, when we're believing a lie, we are in fact not free, but we are in bondage, that we are a slave to the lie that we believe is truth. We said early on in this service, in this series, that this series has the potential to be life-changing for all of us, myself included. Because what I believe to be true, even if it's a lie, right? Because a lie carries the same power as truth for the one that believes the lie. What I believe to be true impacts how I think, and how I think influences how I behave or what I do, and what I do sets the trajectory for my life. And so believing truth is critical. Jesus said believing truth will set you free. Without truth, you're going to be wrapped in a lie that will affect the way that you think, which will affect what you do, which will affect the trajectory of your life. Jesus also said that there are two voices competing For our future. He said it like this in John 10. We'll put it on the screen. He said, The thief's purpose is to steal and kill and to destroy, and my purpose is to give you a a rich and satisfying life. Earlier in this chapter, Jesus describes himself as being the good shepherd. And he said that I call to my sheep, right? Two voices competing for your attention. He said, I call to my sheep, and my sheep hear my voice, and they follow me, and I lead them into an abundance. I lead them into a satisfying life. But then he also said earlier in this chapter that there's another voice, the voice that is the enemy of our soul, Satan. John chapter 8, Jesus describes him as being the father of lies. And Jesus goes on to say that he too will call out to you, but he won't call out to you with truth. He's going to call out to you with a lie that may seem true-ish, And his plan is to steal everything that the good shepherd is trying to give to you. So here's what Jesus is saying. The life that you desire, the life that I desire, and nobody wants a life of chaos and perpetual sorrow and hurt. He says the life that you desire ultimately is determined by whose 
voice you listen to. Listening to the voice of truth brings freedom or the voice of a lie that will steal and take everything that the good shepherd, Jesus, is trying to give to us. Now, we've covered many topics. You can go back and listen to them on our website, revealvineyard.com, or on our podcast. But last week, Brent addressed the topic, the lie that I am not enough. And he talked about the voices that whisper, sometimes shout at us, saying things like, this is all you're ever going to be. And you'll never be able to move past it. Or you're always going to be like this. You're going to be like your mother or your father who was like their mother who was like their father. And they lie in these voices that speak words of deceit over us. Words that, that speak things like uh, damaged goods or uh, words that, that, that speak over us uh, that you'll never fulfill your potential. And all of these things that we get wrapped in and all of these things that, that lie to us. These things that tell us that we're never going to amount to everything that we should amount to, words of failure and words of disappointment. And so we live in this tension, hoping that there is something in us that will elevate us to a a better life, believing that there is something in us, wanting to elevate to a better life, a different life, believing and hoping that tomorrow will be beautiful, something is waiting for us, but it always seems to be buried under a mountain of lies and a mountain of baggage that we have all picked up throughout our lifetime. And Brent mentioned, as he said, that he mentioned that we don't even realize that we are a masterpiece of God. That we do not recognize that we are a masterpiece of God. Here's how the Bible says in Ephesians 2.10. It says, for we are God's masterpiece. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus. Now, I've struggled with this verse my entire life. Because I highly doubt that when you got out of the shower this morning, you stood in front of the mirror and you were like, "Mm, masterpiece, right? (laughs) If you did that, you probably have other issues, right? So so I struggle with this a little bit, but here's the beauty of this passage. That word masterpiece in its original text, original language, is is, uh, poemea. And the, the idea is we get the word poem or the English word poetry, and the idea is, is that you are God's creative writing, or that you are God's poem. Speaking of poems, I have a poem for you uh, today. I uh, worked long and hard on this. Roses are red, violets are bu- blue. This sermon's a long one. Sucks to be you. All right, moving right along here. So <laughs> Tim Keller, who writes some great stuff, he asked the question, do you know what it means to be God's masterpiece? He says this, art is an expression from the inner being of its creator, of the artist. Imagine what that means, he says, that you are an expression of the very inner being of the artist, the divine artist, God himself. Think of that, that you are an expression, an image bearer of God, that you are an expression of the divine artist, God himself. It was said that Michelangelo, when he was asked what he's doing when chipping away at a stone, He said, I am freeing an angel trapped in the stone. And it's in a a, a real way, that's kind of what God is doing in us, that he is chipping away to create us into something uh, that, that is more than we could be on our own, that he is liberating and he is freeing us. Keller goes on to say, this is what God speaks over each of us. He says that I am the artist and you are the art. I am the painter and you are the canvas. I am the sculpture, and you are the marble. You don't look like much in the quarry, but I can see it. But as Brent said last week, 
we don't realize that we are, in fact, a masterpiece of God, which got me thinking. Is it possible to stand before a masterpiece and not recognize its value? So we're going to pray and we're going to continue on a message that I've titled, The Lies That I Believe About Myself. Join join me. Holy Spirit, so much uh, to discuss today and so many lies that need to be broken over us. And so I pray for your power and pray for uh, the anointing of God to come and break lies and expose truth to us, reveal truth to us. I pray that you would come and you would renew our minds with truth. You would renew our emotions with truth. That your truth would settle upon us and it would have its result of freedom. We invite you to speak to us, regardless if we are here for the first time, maybe the first time in church in a long time or the first time ever. Would you speak to us about your feelings and your love for us? Would you lift off anything that is hindering us today? Would you speak life over us? And for the offering received, let it allow us to continue to be the hands and feet of Jesus here in our own community and also internationally that we would represent you well in all that we do. In Jesus' name, amen. Is it possible to look upon a masterpiece and not recognize its value? Can we stand before an architectural wonder that is globally recognized for its beauty, its creativity, creativity, and entirely be unaware of what stands before us? Is it possible to stand before a, a sculpture or a painting universally hailed as artistic supremacy and miss it completely? And we're not talking about velvet paintings of Elvis, right, or the artistic stylings of Bob Ross, but I do love Bob Ross's voice, right? It's so... Joy of painting, happy little trees, right? Love Bob, love Bob. We're talking about a masterpiece, universally recognized. Can we stand before it and completely miss it? Shortly after uh, I was married, my wife Sheila, uh, we were watching a story about the top tourist spots in London. And one of the places they were talking about, put it up there, was Westminster Abbey. And, um, you know, she's a history buff, so she was understandably excited about this. And she begins to tell me that we have to go there. We were married just a short time. We have to go there and, and that we have to save our pennies and figure out a way that for our 10-year ten, ten anniversary, we can go and explore this place. And I told her rather nonchalantly, I said, well, I, I've actually been there, and I, which I had. I said, I've been there twice. And I said, because I, I actually had money before I married you. And so, <laughs> which she quickly wanted me to tell her, every detail of what that experience was like. She wanted to know what I saw, what it was like, what did I feel, and she's going on saying kings and queens and poets and priests and heroes and villains are all part of this history and goes on to say this is the burial place of Chaucer and Newton and Dickens, and she wanted to know what was it like, what did I feel, and she's hanging on every word. She said, tell me everything, which I said, I remember I was 21 at the time, I said, I thought it was all kind of um, stupid is what, is what I told her, which kicked off our first fight in marriage, right? Uh, listen, it's built the first part in 1066, right? We think buildings are old here when it's like 1850. I was standing in front of artwork from the 13th century. It's priceless. You can't put a price tag on it. And in my 21-year-old mind, I was like, this is stupid. Right? That's, that, that's what, what I, 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 was, I was thinking. That same trip, a group of people went to the London Theater District, which is like Broadway. They went there to watch a show. And I remember I told them, 
I'm going to go play video games. Because in my mind, I'm thinking, how often do you get to play video games in London, right? I was, I was sounding a little stupid. So that show went on to talk about things like the Tower of London and Windsor Castle. And we'll put an image up there if you don't know what it is. And, and she's like, we have to go there. We, we have to go to these things. And she's like, uh, uh, I will be your damsel in distress. And you can be my knight in shining armor. And you can rescue me and kiss me passionately in the castle tower. I'm not going to lie. She had my attention at that point, right? And, 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 and so I told her again, I was like, well, I've been there too. And she said, did you see the crown jewels? And I was like, yeah, it's like, they're, they're right there. You, you, can, you can see all of it. And so she wants to know again, what, what was it like? And what was it like to stand in the room with jewels that are priceless? And you're standing looking at a crown and a scepter that ruled nations. I mean, it's pretty impressive now, not back then. She's like, what was it like? And again, I said, well... It was all kind of, what, what's the word I'm looking for? And she said, magnificent. And I was, again, I was like, nah, boring. It was, it was kind of boring. And I remember thinking, this is stupid and it's boring and I just couldn't wait to get out of there. It is possible, at least in a 21-year-old's mind. And let's, you know, I, like, I was 21, I was single. I was looking for the honeys, right? That's what all 21-year-olds do when you're single, which is difficult because it's the UK and, you know, their teeth are going all over the place. And that's just, <laughs> anyway, sorry if that's you, but... And so, <clears throat> welcome to Reveal. <clears throat> I'm actually a guest speaker here. Come back next week. So in my 21-year-old mind, I stood before an artistic masterpiece. I stood in buildings built in the 11th century, and I completely missed all of it. See, we can stand in the midst before artistic supremacy, a masterpiece, and we can completely miss it. Not only can we, but I think we do it every day. Ephesians 2.10, we are God's masterpiece. Now, we don't see ourselves as God's masterpiece because the canvas that we look at, we view it through the lens of a value system that we created, right? The first lens, the first filter is our appearance. And we learn early on that the better the appearance, the greater our value. You know, add a few pounds and value kind of goes down. The problem is, is that if we view a masterpiece through only my exterior appearance, we're in trouble because all of our bodies are in a state of decay. I know it looks good when you're 25, but it's decaying. And over time, things begin to fall apart. Here, here's an example. Put that image up. This is Broadway Joe Namath, and I, I show you him because uh, he was possibly the first true sports superstar. You know, he had talent and charisma and good looks and money uh, in the NFL Top 100. 1969, he wrote a book that said, I can't wait until tomorrow, and you can't read that other part, it says, because I get better looking every day, right? Hey, fast forward a few years, there's Joe now, right? I'm not saying it to rip him, but Joe, your book lied, right? Because we don't get better looking every day. Things begin to break down. And and if our value system is on an exterior package, then we are in trouble. The other thing that we appraise this canvas on is our life experience. We run them through a grinder of sorts, and whatever comes out on the other end must be true. And so we assign a number value, and education is plus two, and a divorce is minus three, and dropped out of college, minus one. You got a nice house, it's plus three, foreclosed, minus three, and abuse and economic status, and your worst decision ever. And we add it all up at the end, and rarely do we see ourselves as what the Bible describes. Maybe you see yourself as worn, 
and used or wrinkled or stained or scarred, or maybe you think your life is marked by unmet potential. So what is it that allows the biblical text to speak over you and speak over me and say that we are actually proclaimed that we are a masterpiece of God? If you've been to an art gallery, I'll give you the reason. Put up this image, I'll show you here. Uh, this is number five, 1948, it's by Jackson Pollock. He is an American painter, big in the abstract uh, expressionist movement. And, uh, this particular style is called drip painting. It was done on a four by eight fiber board. I think it was actually done in his garage. And, and I look at this and I think, come on, I could do that, right? I could. It's like that painting sold uh, for $140 million, Right? That painting, $140 million. Give me $140, I'll drink the paint and spit it on a board for you. <laughs> look, look at this next one. This is the famous Pablo Picasso. This is Boy with the Pipe. And then, you know, this has some form to it. And, but it's also a little creepy, right? I don't want that hanging in my bedroom. It's a, it's, a, it's a little creepy. But here's the thing. $104 million is what it sold for. This next one, uh, number six, uh, violet, green, and red. And Rothko had to actually name it by the colors that he's using. And again, I look at that, and I know some of you are artists. You could do that today and finish it today. $186 million is what it sold for. $186 million. Now, if you or I, we paint any of those things, they hang in the back bedroom of our home. But listen, what makes them valuable is more than what you see, but it's who created them. And if you have the right name associated with the right canvas, if you have the right sculpture associated with the right sculpting, it becomes priceless because Picasso doesn't create junk. And so when I look at myself in the mirror and I fail to see this thing that the Bible proclaims that I'm a masterpiece, it's because I fail to see the master creator that is behind this creation. And when I only look at myself, or when I only look at the things in my life, and usually they're the worst things that I look at, and I do not see a masterpiece, it's because I failed to recognize the master artist who is associated, who has created this piece of art. See, you're hailed throughout the heavens as a work of art, as God's magnus, magnum opus. Let me read Psalm, Psalm 139. It says, you made all the delicate inner parts of my body, and you knit me together in my mother's womb. Thank you for making me so wonderfully complex. Your workmanship is marvelous. How well I know it. You watched me as I was being formed in utter seclusion, as I was woven together in the dark of the womb. You saw me before I was even born. Every day of my life was recorded in your book. Every moment was laid out before a single day had passed. How precious. Let this speak over some of you. How precious are your thoughts about me, O oh God? They cannot be numbered. I can't even count them. They outnumber the grains of sand. And when I wake, you are still with me. Hey, that last part, for some of you who think that God is only interested in punishing you and punishing you for your life and that he's some God who's looking to smite hell, fire, and brimstone on you, and yet you hear that you cannot count the good thoughts that God has towards his creation. And so will you hear the word of God spoken, truth, over you today that will break the power of a lie that has told you that you're not enough? 
or the lies that you believe about yourself. God would say, you are my poem to the world. You are my masterpiece. And as such, I don't want you living a life copying somebody else. I don't want you living off of someone else's agenda for your life. You are created unique, and I want you to step into what I, as your creator, have for you that I have put in you gifts and abilities and talents and a personality and experiences that I want you to use. Listen, listen to the second half of this verse. We'll focus on that. It reminds me that we've been created and recreated in Jesus for something, right? We are God's masterpiece. He created us anew in Christ Jesus. Do we have that passage to put that up? He has created us anew in Christ Jesus. Just look at that last part. See, this title of masterpiece is really not about you. It's really not about me. It's not about my six-pack abs, which I don't have. It's not, a, you know, it's not about a, a, a sculptured body. It's not about a, a six-figure-plus income. It really has nothing to do with what you've accomplished. That last part is that God is creating something new and something fresh in you when you come when you become a follower of Jesus, that God takes the old and he washes it and he begins to recreate and to make something new that we're called a masterpiece because of what God is doing in us through Jesus. And what hopefully he is doing in us is he's recreating and transforming and making us new in Jesus Christ. The idea is is that only God can take our mistakes and our frailties and all of our broken pieces and fit them together in a mosaic That is priceless. And so what what Paul is hinting at is that only God can take our brokenness and make it into something beautiful. That he is recreating something in you, transforming you. And Paul says, don't you get it? You're his masterpiece. That you are the canvas that God paints on and takes somebody who is broken and begins to fit us together in a way that only God can do. It's the good news of Jesus coming among us. Listen to what he goes on to say. Paul says in 2 Corinthians, speaking to the church of Corinth, he says this, this means that anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old life is gone and a new life has begun. Paul talks about all of this. He goes back in Ephesians 8 and he says, look, your salvation was nothing that you have done. It's only because God has decided to grace you. Brent talked about it last week. Grace, giving us what we do not deserve. And Paul makes this case that your salvation, you being uh, saved, has nothing to do with you, but it's the grace of God that has come upon you. And now that grace of God that has given you salvation begins to work in you and begins to transform something in you. And the person that you used to be is dead, and he begins to create something new. And that new person that God is creating, that only God can do, that person is a masterpiece, God's poem to the world. Listen, listen to what he continues to say. For we are God's masterpiece. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus, and catch this last part, so that we can do the good things he's planned for us long ago. Now, other translations are, say the good works that God has done for us long ago, meaning that we are being recreated, renewed, right, transformed, not only so we can have an afterlife, but we're being renewed, recreated for this life today, right now. And that it goes on to say, grace was given to you that you did not deserve. 
that grace now begins to recreate us in Christ Jesus, making us a masterpiece. So, not that we can stand in front of a mirror and say, look how much I've changed, but because God has good things that he wants all of us to be involved with. And so if you're in that process, God didn't create you and recreate you just so we could sit and spoil. He's began that transformative work because there's something that he has for us to do that we might be his poem to the world. Listen, this is what the world needs today. And we've seen it more than ever in the last uh, couple weeks with all the hatred and the bigotry that's been, spew- spewn, uh, that's been thrown around uh, our, our culture. What the world needs today is for the church to become vocal, for the people in the church who have been transformed and renewed and in the process of being renewed, that we would stand up and we would say, that's not the image of God that we follow. There are good things that God has set apart for you as the church to be involved with. And that is part of that, whatever that looks like, that we represent the transforming work of God in our lives to a community that needs to see it. That is the masterpiece of God at work in you and the role that he has for each one of us. Listen to how Peter says it. He says, God has given each of you a gift from his great variety of spiritual gifts. Use them to serve one another. This recreation process of God is working in each of us through Jesus. Not so that we can just say, look how I've changed, but that you would be a representative of the work of God in you. And this is what the world needs. Something that radically changed my existence, my life as a Christian, was this phrase that everybody gets to play. And I speak that over to you, that You may have been last picked in grade school, but you're not last picked in the kingdom. This idea that everybody gets to play, any follower of Christ that is having a a, a renewed spirit that God says, let's put you in to the kingdom narrative that you can represent me. Everyone gets to play. This church is stronger when everybody plays. This church is stronger when everybody does their part, when your gifts and your talents and what God has planned for you before the foundations of the world, when you step into those things whether it's in children's ministry or the greeter position or in the cafe or we're doing a large outreach in October where we're throwing open the doors to just inviting our neighbors and hey, we need people who are gonna help run that. People are gonna step in to the gifts that God has for them because you are a masterpiece of God that he wants to use to further his story. Here's how Paul says it and we'll wrap it up with this. 1 Corinthians 15, Paul says that I am least of the apostles and I do not even deserve to be called an apostle because I have persecuted the church of God. Paul, he wrote a third of the New Testament, right? And his life prior to being renewed and and restored was he was a persecutor of the church and he killed the very people that he now loved. And so Paul's like, look, my past kind of disqualifies me from even standing before you. Paul would say, look, I am nothing. I am not a masterpiece, but he knew something. Go to the next little part, how he finishes that. He says, but by the grace of God, I am what I am. Look, I don't know what your past is. I don't know what your story is. 
I don't know what the worst part of your story is. I don't know what it is that you stand before a mirror and you think, yeah, I'm just not all that. Would you take the words of what Paul says, that it's the grace of God giving us what we do not deserve to begin to transform us and make us into a masterpiece for his name's sake. That is the masterpiece narrative of the gospel. So here's my encouragement. You married people, when your spouse gets out of the shower tomorrow, just walk by and smack it and say, masterpiece of God. Just shout it out loud. All right? This part's going to get a little weird. If you're single, if you're single, smack it and say, masterpiece of God. Hopefully no one's there to see it, but whatever. Stand with me as we pray. Hey, let's, uh, let's spit the hook that has lied to us and let's embrace the truth of Scripture that says God is creating something. And just let him create, right? The role of the canvas is to let the artist do what the artist does. That means we just submit. And when we submit and when we follow, God does the rest. Right? We're not talking about just you trying, me trying to change behaviors. That's not what this is about. This is just submitting and let the Holy Spirit do his work. You are a masterpiece of God. And he is waiting for all of us to step in to represent him to a world that needs to see the master artist. So Lord, today we pray for truth to resonate over us, to truth to resonate in us. Let the lies that we have believed and the lies that have hooked us, let uh, them lose their grip on us as you renew our minds with truth, renew our spirits with truth. I pray that we would begin to look at ourselves, not in an outward package, not in what we've accomplished in life, but we would see the God who lives inside of us, who is recreating us, And that we would see a masterpiece of God's design. Because only you can take those who have been dead in faith and breathe life into us. We are your masterpiece. And our desire is to live and to follow you as such. And so break lies over our thoughts I pray that you would begin to convince us. Hey, and there are some of you here today that, you know, it's for God to get through this wall. There's just been this wall that has put you in the middle of it, and it's thick, and you've believed it for so long, and it's just the power of the Holy Spirit that wants to break through that to speak over you a new truth and a new reality that you are a masterpiece of God. Let us embrace it. Let us leave today with a new truth upon us, a new reality. I pray in the great name of Jesus, our Savior. Amen.
Hey, I'm glad that you uh, are here today. I hope you enjoyed the service. If you're a guest, I'd love to meet you if you want to stick around. If you'd like prayer, we'll have some people to pray for you. We'll continue to wrap up the series next week, Hooked, and then we'll start another one the week after. God bless you guys.